in Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest prayer, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, and his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All is sinking sand. On that last, when he shall come with trumpet sound, no, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness among, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand, all other ground sand. And turn to page number 63, glory to his name. Down at the cross where my Savior died, let's sing it out this morning. Page number 63 in your hymn book. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where from cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Freshly saved from sin, Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where He took me in. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Where to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Now, just a minute this morning. Do you, did you pay attention to the words you just sang? Now, I don't know how anybody can sit there and go, I am so wondrously saved. How can you say I'm so wondrously saved from sin with a frown on your face? Now, that means you're either not paying attention, you hadn't had your uh, double espresso this morning, or whatever that might happen to be to get you going. But um, look at the words. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Do you remember what you used to do Sunday morning before you got saved? You were trying to wake up and recover from what you did Saturday night. And you thought you were having fun, right? You, people here have told me tell the story of old Joe. I worked with him. He wasn't old. He was only about uh, 22 years old, but uh, he looked like he was a little closer to 40. And uh, he said... He comes staggering into the service station. He said, I must have had a wonderful time last night because I feel so rotten today. 
Because we don't need to be that way here, do we? So let, let's, uh, let's look at this. Oh, precious fountain that saves from sin. That's past, present, and future. Can we get amen on that? Amen. I'm not preaching this morning, so i got to get a little bit in, all right? So let's, uh, let's start there on that third verse, and let's sing it out. Oh, precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name, sing it out. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy first soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Led to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to sing these hymns. And Lord, we pray that you would ever make us mindful of who we're singing for, to whom we are singing this morning. Lord, we are singing to bring honor and praise to your name. We pray for Brother Mac as he'll be preaching to us today that he would preach the words that you would have him to preach. Lord, we pray that each one of us here would be willing to work and to strive together to worship you this morning. We assembled here, Lord. We do not want to waste this precious time. We want to use it. We ask that you would change us. We ask that there would not be a one of us here that would not be willing to let the Holy Spirit do business in our heart and in our soul. We ask for your grace and your goodness and your power today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Page 615. 615. Tell you, if you want joy today, this is where you're going to find it. Amen. In serving Jesus Christ. Let's sing it out. 615. There is joy in serving Jesus as I journey on my way. Joy that fills the heart with praises every hour and every day. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, as I draw upon his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There is joy in serving Jesus, joy that triumphs over pain, fills my soul with heaven's music. Till I join the glad refrain. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, as I draw upon his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall be. 
today. Sing it out. There is joy in serving Jesus as I walk along with God. Tis the joy of Christ my Savior through the path of suffering trod. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, upon his power there is joy, 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 never shall depart. At last, there is joy in serving Jesus, joy amid the darkest night, for I've learned the wondrous secret, and I'm walking in the joy there's only one way to find it page number 507 this is why we worship the lord we want him to have his way in our lives amen would you live for jesus and be always pure and good would you walk with him within a narrow road would you have him bear your burden carry all your load let him have his way his power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. Was best for him to have his way with thee. Would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you can never fall? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see what's best for him to have his way with thee. This is your last chance. Would you in his kingdom find a place of constant rest? Would you prove him true in providential test? Would you in his service labor always at your best? Let him have his way with thee. His power, his power, do what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. T'was best for him to have his way with thee. Now, if you believe that, say amen. amen. You may be seated. And what we're going to do is we're going to hold the children here for just a moment. We have some special music this morning, I believe right? I don't know who I'm looking at or who's doing what. So, Oh, okay. There we go. And we'll get that all set up. And uh, we appreciate the uh, Max willing to 
be here just to visit us. It's such a privilege for them just to stop by uh, and uh, be with us during this time. They're leaving for Africa Thursday. I forgot to ask you what time, but we'll figure that out before we get you there. And uh, But they're willing to spend and be spent the last few days they have in the country and more than willing, happy to preach, uh, share their ministry with us. You know, that's the heart of a missionary. And that's one of the reasons we support the Macs is because they're doing the job that God's called them to do. Amen? And so, Becky, if you'll sing, and as soon as she's done singing, now, children, can you do me a favor? Paul? Quietly, carefully, stand up and walk right out because as you're going out, Brother Max is going to come up and start preaching to us. All right? In a dry and weary land, my soul and body yearn and thirst for you. I see you in the sanctuary, and I behold your power and glory, because your love is more than life. My lips will praise you, Lord. So I will bless you while I'm living With hands held high and praise is giving My spirit satisfied will be My mouth will praise you, Lord Oh, Dieu, tu es mon Dieu Je te cherche sérieusement Dans une terre sèche, hélas Mon âme, mon corps soupire Et en soif de joie Of you at night shall I be thinking, beneath your wings in joyous singing, with your right hand upholding me, my soul pursues you, Lord. Oh God, you are my God, in earnest I will seek you, for in a dry and weary land. My soul and body yearn and thirst for you. My soul and body yearn and thirst for you. Morning. 
Boy, I love that song. <laughs> that comes from Psalm chapter 63 in the scriptures. And you probably picked up the second time she sang the chorus. She did so in French. Oh, Dieu, tu es mon Dieu. Oh, God, you are my God. Again, French uh, being the language that we use there in the Ivory Coast. Uh, the Ivory Coast is a very unique country. There are 72 different African languages within the country. But as a population, they have done remarkably well coalescing around the French language. So where we are, probably 98% of the people speak French fluently. As a matter of fact, I would imagine I'm probably the worst French-speaking person in our church. And as well, I would imagine probably close to 80-85% read and write in French as well. And so it is definitely the language we use to minister. It's a great blessing. People understand it. And, uh, boy, I don't know what we do otherwise because we probably have of the 72 different African languages, we probably have at least 20 of them represented in our church. So if we didn't have French, I don't know what we'd do. That would go for an awful lot of translation. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that, honey. Psalm chapter 63. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. Your pastor is definitely challenging your endurance this morning with having you listen to me twice. For those of you who are in the Sunday school hour, we'll do our best. Hebrews chapter 2, and this morning I would like to consider verses 12 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll look at verses, I don't remember, I don't know if I said 12, we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Here the scriptures tell us, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the church which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Let's pray. Now, gracious Father, again, this is indeed a tremendous privilege that you've accorded to me and to my family to be here at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Father, this is a church that has been with the work in the Ivory Coast from its very beginning. And Lord, the relationship that we feel with this church is very, very strong. And Father, it is indeed a privilege for us as returning missionaries to have the opportunity to come back here, even as the church that we're at just prior to returning to the field. Father, that's a great privilege for us. Certainly, Father, as we arrive in the Ivory Coast and we begin to speak of our people, what will be in the forefront of our minds is the tremendous time we had in New York City at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. But Lord, we do not want this time to be spent in vain. And so it is essential, Father, that you send your Spirit here to be with us this morning. Lord, we know that as Christians, the Spirit resides within us. 
Yet we also recognize, Father, that we have to turn ourselves over to you, as it were, so that your Spirit can convict our hearts where necessary, so your Spirit can illumine the Scriptures to us so that we can understand them. Father, we thank you so much for this portion of Scripture. And we ask this morning that you would enable us to understand it as you intend us to understand it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we look at this portion of Scripture, we see three wonderful things. The first thing that we see is found in verses 11 to 13. Look with me if again where the Bible says, For he that sanctifieth, now that would be who? According to the Scriptures, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ, we're sanctified positionally. That is to say, we're set apart from the world and set unto Christ. Sanctification is also a process that continues with our life. We know as long as we're here on this earth, we'll always have that sinful nature. But we, 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 excuse me, we continue to become more and more sanctified, that is, more and more conformed to the image of Christ while we're here, understanding that in heaven we'll be perfect as he is. But for both he that sanctifieth, that is Jesus Christ, and they who are sanctified, that being those who are in Christ, those who through repentance and faith have turned from their sins and accepted Christ by faith, both he that sanctifieth and, those, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them what? Brethren. Can you possibly imagine that? That the very God of heaven, the creator of all the universe, looks down upon us who have simply accepted his son in repentance and faith, and he refers to us using family terms? God the Father, the first person of that holy trinity, looks upon us and refers to us as his children and Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, looks down upon us and refers to us as his brethren. Now, folks, if you're in Christ today, if you know that you've been saved from your sin through the work of Christ on the cross, may that never become mundane for you, that when you were born again, you were indeed born again into the family of God, and God began to refer to you using family terms. Joseph is an excellent example of this. In the Old Testament, you remember the story in Genesis? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. <laughs> what brothers, huh? He ended up in Egypt as a slave. The Lord put him in the house of Potiphar. He very quickly moved up in the ladder, became more or less in charge of all of Potiphar's help. False accusations were leveled against him. He found himself in jail. And finally, the Lord looked upon Joseph, and he raised Joseph up to become the second most powerful man in all the world. Make no mistake, the Egyptian empire was by far the dominant empire of that day. Pharaoh was the, the leader of the Egyptian empire. Joseph was second. And now that Joseph is the second most powerful man in the world, who comes a-calling? According to the scriptures, those very brothers who sold him into slavery had to come to Egypt to buy food because of the famine. So here's Joseph now looking down and sees as his brothers come. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I know what I might do to those brothers. Uh-huh. After what they did to me. But you know, it's not what Joseph does. 
The scriptures tell us that Joseph simply tried their hearts. He tested them. He wanted to see if there had been a change in their hearts. And when Joseph saw that there was a change in their hearts, the scriptures tell us that Joseph took his brethren before Pharaoh and he introduced them to Pharaoh as his brothers in spite of the fact that shepherds were an abomination to all Egyptians and his brethren were shepherds. It's the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He takes us in before God the Father and he introduces us to God the Father as his brethren, thus making us children of God. Never get tired. Never get dulled. Never find it mundane that the awesome, almighty God of the universe looks down upon us who are in Christ and refers to us using family terms. Verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That's a reference back to Psalm chapter 22. In verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. That's a reference back to Isaiah chapter 7. Both verses, again, showing our family relationship that has been established with God. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Again, a family relationship. Jesus said that those that do the will of my father are my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, the family relationship. The prodigal son, upon realizing his error in returning to his father, said that to his father, no, I'm no longer your son. I will just be as a servant unto you. But the father said, absolutely not. You are my son. And as we as sinners come to the realization that indeed we are sinful, that we have that nature and that we choose to sin daily, but at the same time we recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ has done all that is necessary upon the cross to redeem our souls of that sin, to justify us before God, and we turn from our sin and repentance and accept Christ by faith, we are indeed born again into the family of God. And God refers to us using family terms. Amazing. You know, when we finished our deputation, as I mentioned, uh, we use the French language there in the Ivory Coast, so it was necessary for us to go to a year of language school. So we left the States and went up to Montreal, lived on the south shore of Montreal, a community called Boucherville, for one year. And for six hours a day, five days a week, we studied nothing but French. Very challenging when you're well into your 30s before you're learning that second language. It does not come quickly. We did that for a year, and then we moved down to the Ivory Coast. And, folks, I'll just be honest with you, at least for me, one year was totally insufficient. <laughs> I was not speaking as well as I wanted to, and I was not understanding what was being said to me as well as I wanted to. And so when, when I got out there to the Ivory Coast, I took one of the men that was studying for the ministry, and every day from 8 to 12, we would work at my desk translating different outlines I had from English into French. He spoke just a little bit of English. And I spoke just a little bit of French. And so uh, working together, I, I had to make sure that he fully understood the concept of each thing he was translating. And with all that talking back and forth, finally things began to loosen up. But you'll understand that your ability to, 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 to have personal relationships with people depends on your ability to be able to communicate with them, certainly. So the better that you can speak with somebody, the better that you can... Make people laugh and that they can make you laugh. The better that you can understand the nuances of different feelings, 
obviously the better your interpersonal relationships will be with people. So when we first got out there, it, it was challenging because our French was coming very slowly. And the missionaries told us, they said, now listen, here in the Ivory Coast, you must greet people. You have to greet people. As Americans, we tend to be a little quick about that. Oh, hey, how you doing? And on we go. But here you must greet people. And you must say hello. You must ask how they are doing. You must ask, you must ask how is your wife doing. You must ask how are your children doing. How is the family doing, so on and so forth. It's essential. I said, okay, well, if that's the way it is, that's the way we're going to do it. And so people would come up when we first got out there, and they'd say, bonjour, pastor. Hello, pastor. And I would say, bonjour. And they'd say, como ça va? How are you doing? Ah, ça va bien, merci. I'm doing well, thank you. Et madame, como va-t-elle? And your wife, how is she doing? Ah, madame va bien, merci. My wife's doing well, thank you. Et vos enfants, como vont-ils? And your children, how are they doing? Ah, mes enfants vont bien. Merci beaucoup. My children are doing well, thank you. Et la famille là-bas au pays, como va-t-elle? And your family back in your country, how are they doing? Wow. La famille va bien. Merci beaucoup. And then it was for me to do the same thing. Como ça va? Et madame, ou monsieur, como vont-ils? Et vos enfants, et la famille. And that's how it went for a long time. But you know what? After six, seven, eight months or so, you know, our French started arriving. And we started being able to speak better with the people. And our relationships really improved. And we really started growing close to certain people. And you know what? Then something changed. It caught me by surprise. They say, bonjour, pastor. And I say, bonjour. Como ça va? How are you doing? Ça va bien. Doing well. Et madame, comment va-t-elle? Ah, madame va bien. Merci. She's doing well. Thank you. Et mes enfants, comment vont-ils? And my children, how are they doing? I thought, wait a minute. Why is he asking me how his kids are doing? Certainly he knows that better than I do. I mean, they live with him. And it would catch me off guard, and, and I would do the same thing that every missionary does in that moment of con cultural confusion. I'd just say, oh, fine, fine, they're fine. But I spent a period of time wondering, what's going on here? I mean, it used to be they asked me how my kids are doing. Now they're asking me how their kids are doing. Until finally I realized something. They really were asking the same thing. It's just that because our relationship had grown, they wanted to show their love and affection for us and for our children by referring to them as their children. Hey, Pastor, how you doing? How's your wife? And our kids, how are our kids doing? Showing love through using family terms. And the very God of heaven, the almighty creator of the universe, looks down upon us who are in Christ, and he refers to us as his children, as his brethren. Missions is bringing people into the family of Christ. We started the church there in Bangerville in June of 2000. And somewhere around October or November 2000, I had a knock at the gate. And I went out to our gate. Understand that over there, every lot has a wall going all the way around it. So if somebody doesn't come up to your door, they come to your gate. And I went out to the gate, and there stood an older man, probably in his mid-50s. His name was Mr. Kulivoli. Now, Mr. Kulivoli's son, Toussaint, had been coming to our church for quite a while. Toussaint had accepted Christ, and things had really changed in his life. So now here's his father standing at the gate, and he says, Pastor, 
it's time for me to join the church. And I said, well, Mr. Colibli, i got to tell you, there's nothing that pleases me more than to have you here at my gate telling me that. Why don't you come on in? Let's sit down. So we came inside. And I said, now, you've talked about joining the church, but let's not get the cart before the horse. The most important thing that the Scriptures tell us is that a person must come to the realization that he has sinned against God. And upon realizing that, he must recognize that salvation then comes through Christ's work on the cross. And so it is a decision of the heart where we make that decision to turn our back on those wicked things which we have done and we accept what Christ has done by faith. Now, Mr. Colibli, I don't know, has there ever been a time in your life where you've done that? He said, oh, yes. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, tell me about it. He said, Pastor, all my life I have spurned religion. I, my wife's family is Muslim. I've had nothing to do with that. He said, I have a brother who's a pastor in a church. I've had nothing to do with that. I felt religion is a crutch, something that we don't need. He said, but for the last few months, I've been watching Toussaint. And he said, I have come to the conclusion that I need what he has. And so he said he had gone and spoke with his brother, who was the pastor. And fortunately, his brother understood the gospel well and had clearly presented what a person needs to do to be saved. And so he was now saved, and we baptized him, and he now acts as the treasurer of our church as well as uh, head of uh, uh, landscaping at our clinic property. Mr. Kulibli today is in the family of God. And part of the reason why is because of the outreach of your missions program. We see in these first three verses that we are born again into the family of God. If you're here this morning and you haven't had that experience, boy, let me encourage you to, to, to consider that most seriously. That indeed we are born as sinners. That indeed there is a payment for that sin. God cannot simply forgive without a foundation for that forgiveness. God is perfect. If you sin against me, all that's necessary is for me to, in my mind and in my heart, forgive you because I am a sinner as is you. But a holy God has to have a foundation for the forgiveness of that sin. He cannot arbitrarily pretend as if something has not happened and then allow a sinful condition to enter into his presence. So there must be a foundation for that forgiveness, and that is the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. As Christ was on the cross, all of our sins were laid upon him. All of our iniquity was laid upon him. And he suffered in our place to satisfy the righteousness of God. And then through God's mercy and his grace, he applies what Christ has done to our account when we turn to him in repentance and faith. And then he refers to us using family terms. Let's continue in our text, verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now go with me, if you would, back to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And here we see the second point. When one accepts Christ, not only is he born again into the family of God, but we also see that he is translated into the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. We don't believe that he is the one that actually started the church in Colossae. 
It was one of his disciples, most likely Epaphroditus, that did. But Paul received some news that in the church in Colossae, there was the very beginning of some bad doctrine concerning Christ. They wanted to minimize the person and the work of Christ. And so Paul wrote this letter back to the church at Colossae to say, hey, listen, let me tell you exactly who Jesus is and what he did. And one of the things that he says is in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, who, that is God the Father, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, what does that mean? Again, that means when we accept Christ, we were before in the devil's kingdom, but he translates us into the kingdom of his dear Son. When we are over here in the devil's kingdom, we could never please God. We could never serve God. We could never do what God wanted us to do. But when we were translated into the kingdom of his dear Son, we now have the ability through Jesus Christ to please God. We now can serve God. We now can accomplish in our life what he wants us to accomplish. Before, when we're in the devil's kingdom, we're absolutely in bondage to sin. Whether we realized it or not, it had complete control of us. When we're translated into the new kingdom, we're given that new nature, and we now have the ability through the Spirit to no longer be in bondage, to have victory over sin. Look with me in chapter 2 and verse 15, Colossians chapter 2. In verse 15, again, in speaking of Christ, Paul said, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. We see three verbs there in that thing. First of all, we see that Christ spoiled the devil. That's a military term. All three verbs, actually, are military terms. Christ spoiled the devil. You know, when one army goes in and conquers another army, the conquering army gets the spoils. That's the idea. Paul here, in the, in, the, in, the, in the words he uses in this verse, he carries with it the idea that when he died on the cross, he even stripped, as it were, the power from the devil, completely spoiled him. We see, secondly, that he made a show of them openly. He exposed the devil as having been stripped of his power. Now, of course, that's not in our realm. That's speaking more of the celestial realm. Make no mistake, in heaven or hell, there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever who has the power today. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 28 and verse 18, all power is given unto me. The devil knows that. The Lord knows that. So we see that the devil was spoiled. We see that he was exposed. And lastly, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ triumphed over him. Now, in Paul's day, again, this is a military term. In his day, of course, it was during the Roman Empire. And if a Roman general went out to war and killed at least 5,000 of the enemy soldiers, and took new territory for the emperor, he was considered worthy of a triumphal parade. So when he returned to a city, or when he returned to Rome, the people would line a street. They would choose the street, and the people would line the street. And the general would get to go first, normally in his chariot. And the people would cheer, and they would applaud. And if the general had any sons in the military with him, those sons could ride just behind him in that chariot. And then far back would come the spoils and the captives, and they would be forced to parade in front of everyone down the street. And that's the image that Paul gives us for what Jesus Christ did to the devil through his work on the cross. He stripped the devil of his power, and now he marches in triumph. And those of us that are in Christ, we march in triumph with him, having been translated from the devil's kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son. The fact of the matter is the devil can impose nothing on the Christian. No Christian can say the devil made me do it. 
You've been translated from his kingdom. You've been given the ability through the new nature to live in such a way as to be free from sin and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you say, well, listen, Brother Mac, that all sounds really good. But, you know, I feel pretty powerless in my life. I mean, i got some things in my life, and I've been trying to get them out. I'm telling you, they're just not going out. So you might be able to show theologically where that's the case, but personally, in my experience, I find it to be pretty difficult. Well, yes, but you must understand what's taking place. It's not that the power is not available. Again, when we accept Christ, we're given two natures. You have the new nature, the old nature. But make no mistake, Christian, if you starve the new nature, that is, you're not in the Word, you're not in prayer, you're not in church as you should be, you're not having the Christian fellowship that you should have, and you feed the old nature, you're watching what you shouldn't be watching, you're listening what you shouldn't be listening to, you're filling your mind with these things, absolutely, make no mistake, you will get to the point to where you feel powerless because the new nature given to you in the new kingdom has not been strengthened in order to be able to help you. But that doesn't mean the devil has power over you. Think with me. How many of you, you remember the Andy Griffith show? Anyone else? Andy Griffith? Yeah. I can't whistle, so I won't do it. You remember Andy? Andy was what? He was a sheriff. Sheriff in May, at the police station there in Mayberry. And you remember his number one deputy, Barney Fife. And if you watch those episodes, every once in a while, you might have seen a guy named Otis. Do you remember Otis? Otis was a drunk. And every time Otis had too much to drink, they would put him in the city jail until he slept it off. And then he could leave. Well, imagine with me one morning, Andy Griffith walks into this police station, and there's Otis in the jail. She says, oh, good morning, Otis. And Otis says, oh, good morning, Andy. How are you doing? And, Otis, and Andy says, I'm fine, Otis. How are you? And so they talk for a little bit. And then Otis says, Andy, do you really think you can trust Barney? And Barney says, well, of course Andy can. Or Andy says, of course I can trust Barney. I mean, Barney and, Barney and me, we go way back. We're just like this. I mean, if I can't trust Barney, who can I trust? And Otis says, okay. And he says, no, no, wait a minute, Otis. Why in the world would you question whether or not I can trust Barney? And Otis says, well, Andy, I don't know. But you know, when Barney comes to work sometimes, he'll open the door and he'll look in and he'll see that you're not there. And so he'll stick his head back and he looks up and down the street. And then he comes in quick and he closes the door and he'll go over to the window and he'll look again. And when he sees that you're not coming, Andy, he'll go over to your desk and Boy, I don't know Andy, but you know, he's rifling through your drawers, and I'm telling you, sometimes it's perfectly clear he's taking stuff from you. And Andy says, Well, I can't believe that. And Otis says, Yeah, I'll tell you, Andy, you know, if I were you, I'd lock your desk drawers. And he says, Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he pulls his key out, he locks up all his desk drawers. Now, let me ask you a question What power does Otis have? He has no power, he's in jail. But Andy's listening. So he gets a call, and he leaves, and who do you think comes in 10 minutes later? Here comes Barney. Hey, Barney, how you doing? Okay, Otis, how are you doing? I'm oh, doing well. They're talking for a little bit. Finally, Otis says, Barney, how come Andy can't trust you? And Barney says, what do you mean Andy can't trust me? Me and Andy, we go way back. I mean, we're just like this. If Andy can't trust me, who can he trust? And Otis says, well, if Andy trusts you so much, why does he lock all of his desk drawers? And, of course, Barney thinks they're not locked, but he goes over and he finds that they're locked. Now there's a big problem in there. Andy's mad at Barney. Barney's mad at Andy. Why? 
because they were listening to notice. Who is in jail and cannot impose anything on them. And there lie in the Christian life for us as well. We have been granted the power to live in the kingdom of His dear Son. If we will not listen to the devil and we will feed the new nature and we will do the things that we're supposed to do, we will indeed be strong and we'll have victory over sin and we'll feel God's power in our life to be able to accomplish what we're to accomplish. But if we starve that nature and we hang out over here and we listen, yeah, we're going to be trapped in stuff. It's going to seem like there's no way out. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, not only are we born again into the kingdom of God, but we are in the family of God, but we are translated into his kingdom. And that's what missions is as well. I mentioned in the Sunday School Hour about the, the religion of animism that we have in the Ivory Coast, how it enslaves our people and intimidates our people. And let me tell you something, and Ivorian understands the kingdom aspect when he is saved from those sinful practices and he is able to live in the liberty that Christ accords him. Now, lastly, this morning, let's look back in our text of Hebrews chapter 2. We've seen God's family. We've seen his kingdom. And now in the last three verses, we're going to see Christ's reconciliation. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Hmm. That's interesting because you know there were angels that fell. But Christ did not come to save the angels. Wherefore verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him, that is Jesus Christ, to be made like unto his brethren. There that reference to us again that he, Jesus Christ, might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You'll understand in the Old Testament it was always necessary to take the blood from the sacrifice, and the high priest would take that blood, and he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would, he would sprinkle that blood upon the altar as an atonement for sin. It was the means by which God in his plan could look upon mankind as having had his sins atoned. Now, in the Old Testament, as they did that, we understand they were doing it in the future aspect, moving their sins closer to the cross. When Jesus Christ came, he bore all of, of the Old Testament sins, as it were, as well as all of our sins upon himself. But the scriptures tell us that upon accomplishing his work on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was not only the sacrifice shedding his blood, but he was also that, that high priest that took his blood, as it were, and went into the Holy of Holies and made the sprinkling upon the altar for us for the atonement of our sins. Jesus Christ did it all. There is no other element in reconciling man to the Father. Now, today we live in a culture that really condemns that viewpoint. Hmm? You say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How intolerant. How close-minded, how ridiculously narrow. Now, now, folks, wait a minute. <laughs> As a human race, we are the ones that have sinned against God's law. God, in his love and his mercy, gave himself, as it were, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and suffered a hideous death, taking our sins upon himself and suffering the punishment for our sin for us, and then offering us salvation, and God the Father stretches forth His hand, as it were, to say, please take my hand so that I might save you from your sins. And we look at that and say, how intolerant? 
The fact that man comes to the conclusion that he can find some other way does not remove the fact that the Lord God of heaven made a way for man to be saved, and man must find that way. There's only one means of reconciliation, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Ivory Coast, one time the mayor of our town asked me to pray before a civil ceremony. And I told him, I said, Mayor, listen, i got to commend you. I, I think it's excellent that as a leader of this city, you want to seek God's help for the ceremony and for the city. I said, I really commend you. I said, please understand that if I pray, that I feel an obligation to pray according to the Scriptures, that is how the Scriptures teach me to pray. And I said, the Scriptures tell us to be thankful in all things. And I can't think of anything for which I should be more thankful and for what Jesus Christ has done for me, reconciling me to the Father. And I said as well, the Scriptures teach us that we must pray in Jesus' name. And so our mayor smiled, no problem. And the day came, and I thanked the Lord God Creator for that excellent work of atonement, that vicarious sacrifice upon the cross for the redemption of our souls. And I asked his help on the ceremony. And I prayed in Jesus' name. Why? Because the world must know that the only way to be reconciled with the Father is through Jesus Christ. I'll close with this illustration. Shortly after arriving in the Ivory Coast, as I mentioned, we first worked in the city of Anyama. And we were working with another missionary. And the Lord even allowed for us to live together in a duplex. So if I was looking out my front door of my side of the house, my colleague was living down on the left side. And we had a young man in our church named Bakari, and Bakari came to see us. He was about 17, 18 years old, and he said, listen, pastors, said, uh, you know, I'm a landscaper. It's what I do for a living. And he said, if you want, I can take care of all your yard, and that way you don't have to do that. And to be honest with you folks, it takes so much more time just to live in Africa that really we were pretty happy with that idea because that would give us some more time to be able to work in the ministry. And so we said, Bakri, that'll be great. You do that. And we decided we're going to give him a salary for what he's doing, and that would help him. So it'd be mutually beneficial. And so Bakri began working. And let me tell you, folks, he is good. Bakri can take a machete, and he can cut your lawn. It'll look just as good as a lawnmower. It's an amazing thing to watch. And he could do the shrubs, the trees, everything. He was excellent. One day, Bakri came to see us, and he had some ideas about how he wanted to do the bushes that ran across our wall. I told you every lot there is a, has a wall going around it. We had some bushes and trees on the inside of the wall. And he came in, he said, he said, I'd like to do it this way. And it was a style of landscaping that we had seen. And we understood what he was describing. And folks, to be honest with you, we just didn't really want him to do it that way, at least not at that point in time. And so we told him, Bakri, we appreciate your input. You've got some excellent ideas. But we think for the time being, we'll just have you go ahead and do it the way you've been doing it. So I went inside, my colleague went inside, and we were working for a while, and I came out about two or three hours later. What do you suppose I saw? There was Bakri doing the very thing that we asked him not to do. And I called my colleague over. I said, Tom, I, I know the French is... Is, is coming a little slowly with me, but you know, what part of the word no did he not understand? It's the same word in both languages. And we asked him, we said, Bakri, uh, did you understand that we did not want you to do that? And he bowed his head. He said, yes, that's what I understood. I said, then why are you doing it? 
And I was still very new in the country at the time. And, you know, he just he didn't respond. Now, having had a little bit more experience, I'll tell you what was going on. Number one, as an American, I at least have two perspectives. I know what I've seen in the States, and I know what I see in the Ivory Coast. So I can recognize that there are different ways of doing things. Whereas Bakary, the only thing he knows is the Ivorian way, and in his way of thinking, probably the whole world would think that way. So I think Bakary felt like if I just saw it, I'd like it. And he wanted, I guess, to surprise us. But we had told him not to do it. And so we said, listen, Bakri, go, go ahead and go on home for today. It was a Tuesday. Stay home today. Uh, stay home tomorrow. And we'll talk with you after service on Wednesday night. Our midweek service was on Wednesday. And we, didn't, we really didn't think that much about it. We just, well, you know, he'll, he'll stay home. We were still going to give him all his pay. And we just talked to him after the service. So finally, that night, Tuesday night, there was a knock at the door at the gate. It was over on Tom's side. It was one of the older men in our church, Mr. Prenyon. And he wanted to talk with both of us, so Tom called me over, and we sat down on the porch, and we went through all the hello, how you doing, and, and how's your wife, and how are your kids. And we found out everyone was doing just great. And finally, Tom, as the host, was able to ask him, you know, what's the news of the evening? Why have you come? And Mr. Prenyon began to explain to us that Bakri had come to see him, and that Bakri had told him everything that had happened. And that he was coming to say he was sorry for Bakri and to see if Bakri could have his job back. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't handle that. In my mind, I didn't accept that very well. I thought, what in the world is this? If Bakri wants to apologize, he can pick his sorry self up and come over and do it like a man, face to face. What is he, he's too busy now, so he's sending someone to handle his apologies for him? And why has he gone and involved Mr. Prenuel in this? I mean, what is he, this isn't a church thing. Does he want to try and split the church over this or create some dissension? And I, and I was truly puzzled. And by God's grace, my colleague and I, we, we listened and we nodded our heads and we thanked him for coming. We told him we surely, surely respected his, his counsel and his advice and and we would pray about it, and we got him out the gate, and I'm standing there thinking, man, this is crazy. And so I went down and spoke with a neighbor that we have who, who's had a, a lot of exposure to the West, and he kind of understands us Americans a little bit better. And, and I explained the situation to him. I said, now, Bakri did this when we told him not to do it, and then he went and talked with the older man about it, and then the older man comes and apologizes. Now, is that normal? And he said, well, sure, that's normal. I said, no, that's not normal. I said, that's so disrespectful. If he wants to apologize, he can come and do that himself. And Mr. Tao's eyes got real big, and he said, Oh, no, Pastor. No. Pastor, you must understand, you are significantly older than Bakri, and you have attained much more in life than Bakri has attained. Actually, Pastor, the most disrespectful thing he can do is to come and apologize himself. No, he realizes, Pastor, that what he must do is find somebody on your level and ask that person to come and apologize for him. And in so doing, Pastor, he is showing you tremendous respect. And I thought, boy, what an illustration. How insulting it is to God when man shows up himself with his own good works and says, God, you've got to forgive me. Oh, that'll never work. No, what we need is somebody on the same level as God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can go in and make intercession for us because of his work on the cross. 
Folks, when we accept Christ, we're born again into the family of God, we're translated into the kingdom of God, and we have Christ's reconciliation. And that's what missions is. It's bringing more and more people into those three things for the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, again, such a tremendous day here at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church, Lord. And, and Lord, we wanted to get into your scriptures and understand them. Lord, first of all, we wanted to make sure today that the gospel is very clear, very plain. And secondly, Lord, we have wanted to talk about missions and the role of each local church in missions so that we can be encouraged and motivated to continue in that, Father. Now, Lord, as we've looked at Hebrews chapter 2, my goodness, Lord, indeed, if we're in Christ, we certainly are enamored with what we saw, Father. It is amazing that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded me to refer to you as Father. That's just amazing. It could be boss. It could be excellency. It could be honorable. It could be anything, Lord. But Jesus said we could come to you as our Father. Lord, such a meaningful thing to be in your family. Lord, the simple fact that we can go off to another country and proclaim your name means we're in your kingdom. You're watching out for us. The devil can only do what you might possibly allow, Father. We're free to serve you. We're free to accomplish what we need to. And lastly, Lord, all this is possible because of Christ's reconciliation. Now, Lord, as we're here today and we've seen these things, there, there are two things that, that, that come to our mind, Father. And that is, first of all, we recognize that it is possible that somebody has come today and is in this church service that never has accepted Christ as Savior. And, Lord, we certainly do not look upon them judgmentally. My goodness, we love them, Father. We're thankful for their presence here. We're glad they've come. And, Lord, we do desire that they would accept Christ. And so, Father, if there is somebody here that's come today, help that person to understand that there is nothing that would make us happier today than for them to come and to receive Christ as Savior. And, Lord, we would ask that you would work in their hearts and that you would convict them of these truths. That, yes, we have sinned against God, but, yes, Jesus Christ has accomplished all that's necessary for the forgiveness of that sin. So, Lord, work in the heart of anyone today that's never fully made that decision, Father. I praise you for August 24th of 1977 when I accepted Christ, Lord. Nothing in me, nothing at all in me, all of Jesus. Secondly, Lord, today I know we have some good church members here, those who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and, Lord, they could stand and give testimony of that. They could speak of the time when they accepted Christ, when their sins were forgiven, when they received eternal life. And now, Lord, they're, they're functioning in this church as a member of this church, but maybe through the Sunday school lesson and through the preaching this morning, they realize, my goodness, we've got to be about getting more people into God's family and into his kingdom and into Christ's reconciliation. And so, Lord, they would come to a decision today where they would say, by God's grace, I am going to pray more. By God's grace, I am going to give more. By God's grace, I am going to go more and speak myself. And, Lord, I ask that you would work in the hearts of these church members as well. Now, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And just very quickly, I'm going to ask two questions and then turn it over to Pastor Montoro. Maybe you're here this morning. And you are in that first group. And please understand, we do not view that as in a condemning manner at all. We love everybody that has come today and want to do whatever we can to help everybody that has come today. 
And maybe you're here and you'd say, Brother Mac, I've listened to what you had to say, and, and I'm interested, I'm a little intrigued. I, I cannot say there's absolutely been a time in my life when I turned to God in repentance and faith and accepted what Christ done, but I'm interested. Maybe I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. If that's the case, all we're asking is, while everyone's head is bowed and everyone's eyes closed, if you just very quickly raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. I'll just know that in my closing prayer, I should remember that a hand was raised. Anyone at all? I promise we will not single you out. Okay, maybe you're here and you say, Brother Mac, I, I can't give a good testimony of Christ saving my soul. But Brother Mac, I'm a member here at this church and I'm realizing that maybe there is a little bit more I can do through this church for the cause of missions. Whether it's more prayer, whether it's more financial support, whether it's being a better missionary here in the New York City area. And you would just very quickly again raise your hand while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Say, Brother Mac, by God's grace, I'm going to do more to bring people into God's family and into his kingdom and into Christ's reconciliation. Anyone all, just very quickly raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Many hands. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. God, you see these hands, and even more, Father, you work on our hearts. And you know what's there. And I thank you for these members, Lord. Because really, how can we not want to do more? So, Lord, I would ask that you would work now in the hearts of these people and, and in the conclusion of this service help all of us make the decisions that you would have us make. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Pastor Montel, if you come. Let's just stand together. Take your hymn books, 562. The hymn of invitation is just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. If you need to do business with the Lord this morning, We'd ask you to come as we sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou didst me come to to play and if you need to come now is the time
would sing that second verse. It says, just as I am and waiting not, if you need to come, we'll sing one more verse. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot lamb of seated. We have to close the time of public invitation so we can let everybody go home, but private invitation is never closed. And uh, of course, if you need to be saved, the only way we know that, we don't go walking down the aisles and take people's social security cards and, and try to figure out who they are and all that. If the Holy Spirit is working, you let us know, and we'll do everything we can to help you find Jesus as your Savior. Amen. We have some special visitors today. Uh, they came the whole way from Ireland. And got an email a few weeks ago. Some of you remember Brother Craig Ledbetter. Uh, he was here in the old building. So that was 10 years ago. And uh, uh, he visited here. And you're from the church in Mallow? In Valcali, right? Okay, Valcali, okay. And so that was the first church that Brother Ledbetter started there. And so we're uh, thankful they, they walked in. I said, oh, just some more Filipino visitors. And, uh, well, they're from Ireland. And uh, we have another friend with us from Indiana. He called up and said, can I visit? And I said, yeah, you need special permission slip to show up. And uh, we made sure he got one. Amen. But... Uh, we're glad that you're here today. If you were here Thursday night, just want to let you know the street fair is on Steinway Street. Uh, our booth is between 31st Avenue and, uh, and Broadway. Uh, let's see. Now, if you drive, you'll know where the parking lot is. We're two stores up from the parking lot. If you're a health nut, we're two stores up from the vitamin shop. If you're a coffee bug, we're... Uh, Starbucks is on one side of the parking lot and we're on the other, all right? And uh, if you would like to help uh, pass out tracks this afternoon, uh, you can go right down there. Brother Shaw and uh, Mrs. Shaw have been, their Portuguese language service finished. They went down and they're uh, manning the booth right now, but uh, they could use a break for lunch. And so if we have a couple people like to go down and take over for a while, give them a break. And uh, we'll be there till about 5 o'clock this afternoon. And then we'll pack it all up and get back here for church this evening. And so I uh, just want to, to remind you about that. If you're here tonight, you can't go down right now. The uh, Iglesia Bautista International's meeting downstairs, but uh, you need to see what was done down there. It's, uh, it's a different place now. Uh, those of you that prayed for us, we appreciate that. Those of you that invested a little bit of uh, sweat and blood and other things that go into construction work, we, we truly thank you for all of that. And so, uh, uh, and then ladies, one last announcement. Um, and I don't mean to minimize this in any way, but uh, Mother's Day is May 14th. And Saturday in the afternoon, we wanted to have a ladies' tea. Now, 
I don't know what a ladies' tea is other than they get together and drink tea, but I imagine there'll be a little bit more than that going on. And so, uh, ladies, if you could just meet with my wife after the service, she'd like to go over some details uh, with whatever's supposed to be happening at a ladies' tea, all right? And uh, so, uh, please meet with her. I guess you could just meet right over here after the service tonight. And let's uh, remember to pray. The Macs are leaving for Ivory Coast. And, uh, you know, we need to get a, a group of people together to just go over there and visit them. So uh, uh, we're trying to recruit a few here. And uh, I got one recruit, but uh, she said she needs somebody else to go. So we need another lady or a couple or a group of people uh, to just pack their bags and go to Africa for a couple weeks. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? No, actually it would be pretty warm, I think. Um, but... Uh, I said there's only two seasons in Ivory Coast. One's hot and the other's hotter, right? Okay. I, I thought I had that right. So let's uh, pray for them and uh, make sure you're back for our evening service. Friday night, men, we're having our monthly fellowship. at 715. And so if you can be here for that, we'd really encourage you to do that. All right. Let's have our ushers come at this time. We'll receive this morning's offering. <coughs> Ding, would you pray for us? Let's stand together as we're dismissed. 705, if you need the words, let's sing it out. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where you go. Precious name, oh, how sweet. Hope of earth.